I'm Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, Understanding Nonprofit Finance. On today's episode, Brad Muniz joins me to talk about quality control. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of The Balance. Our guest today is Brad Muniz. Brad is a partner at Sobel. Brad, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you asking me to do this. I know your organization, you do a great job for with a lot of our clients. And uh, the fact that you're asking me about this really helps and makes me feel, gives some comfort level that you have some interest in the impact is on us on the audit end. And I look forward to talking with you about the topic. Thanks, Brad. Brad, can you just tell us a little bit about some of the work that Sobel does and then maybe also just a little bit about you and your role within the organization? Sure. So Sobelco was founded in 1956, a traditional accounting firm that provides accounting tax consulting service. We also have some forensic service and some uh, economic damage valuations, but a large part of our practice, the main part of our practice is accounting and tax. And within that accounting area, we provide audit service. We go out and audit the financial statements of companies. A large part of our audit practice is comprised of nonprofit organizations. And then other areas that we handle are retail, manufacturing, distribution, uh, real estate, and a lot of different, and technology, and a lot of different other areas. My background is uh, I started in the profession in 1988, uh, been a partner here since around 2008. And my responsibility is I'm, I'm in charge of the accounting and auditing department which requires me in part to work with quality control, which I used to be the quality control director uh, to ensure you know the quality of our audits, reviews and compilations, our engagement quality that is, and to also oversee the operations of the department staffing, uh, who's assigned to different engagements, do we have proper staffing levels, in addition to handling client responsibilities myself. So I'm working with clients on a regular basis, either consulting them, advising them in different ways, or supervising and managing the audits and the, uh, you know, the compliance service that we provide. Thank you. That's really helpful. And Brad, I really, you sat in, you came to one of our staff meetings, I guess it was about a month ago. And at our mm-hmm. staff meeting, you focused and did a presentation for us on quality control and the importance of the quality control function within Sobel in particular, and how this all relates The purpose of today's discussion is to discuss quality control. And so I think it would be helpful for our listeners if you can shed some light on how the quality control function works and why it is so important within audit firms. Well, I I appreciate you asking that because quality control, it's like like the wizard, you know, it's behind the curtain that nobody sees. And the fact that you're asking me to, to pull that curtain back or break down that fourth wall for people to see what's going on, it means a lot. There's many, many aspects that are involved in quality control. Most people think, and which will be my largest focus of discussion, is as it relates to the financial statements and the engagement quality. But quality control involves overseeing training development, research reference materials, making sure we're using the right quality of materials, continuing education requirements. As accountants, we're required to get, on average, 40 hours a year of continuing education. Okay. And, you know, it's like herding cats. We have uh, just in our audit department, 40 people in the firm, it's 200 in total. And the quality control person is required to make sure that everybody is adhering to those requirements. And you can imagine, you know, everybody has every excuse in the world. 
And uh, I mean, these are actual licensing requirements that the state of New Jersey and other states have. And if you don't keep up with it, you can have a lot of problems and ultimately could lose your license. And then the ultimate function that people think about and relate to us is engagement quality. The AICPA, American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, actually put out a, you know, statements on quality control standards. And they say the objective of a firm is to establish and maintain a system of quality control to provide with reasonable assurance that the firm and its personnel comply with professional standards and applicable legal regulatory requirements. And reports issued by the firm are appropriate in the circumstances and in the end, engagement quality. And that's the responsibility. That's, that's the whole objective. In the end, everything fits into that. Got it. If I'm just to summarize this in my own head, the, the role of quality control is to effectively make sure that the audit team, when the if I use this, if I think about this in the context of an audit, um, that the audit team within Sobel, for example, has complied with all of the different regulations and rules that are applicable and to make sure that we're following all of the appropriate procedures. Is that a fair, quick way to think of it? That's the one piece of it. As I said, first, it starts off with holistically, are we complying? And then what most people relate to, Amy, is exactly what you said, because most people see us on an engagement by engagement basis. Exactly. Is the team doing what's required of them as it relates to that particular engagement? So does that make you a very unpopular person within the firm at times? (laughs) I, I have to think it is, because I will tell you from personal experience, we will kind of butt heads with auditors sometimes and we'll have an opinion as to how something should be. The auditor has a different opinion. And very frequently, the response we get is, well, that's not going to fly with quality control. And so I, I, I feel like you're right, like that Wizard of Oz analogy. You guys are like behind the curtain and everyone blames that function effectively for not budging. But I, I just have to assume that that can be a that can be a sad and lonely place sometimes because you guys are like the enforcers. Oh, we're, we're definitely the bad cop. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And and that's OK. And that's that's the role we have to play. Our, our engagement team is there to work with the client and creating an acrimonious relationship of constantly saying no on there and is not beneficial to anybody. Right. Okay. They're not just giving away, you know, the store, but they're, they're, they're there to establish relationships. They're trying to get a job done. You're trying to get a job done. And very often the comment is quality control. And I jokingly said to a client one day that I met at a soccer field, Oh, when they say that uh, your financial statements are being held up by quality control, that's me. I jokingly said that. I went back to the office and talked to the partner and I said that. He said, oh, that's not no good. I did say that to him. That's <laughs> like that. hilarious. I, and I feel like people say that to me all the time. It's being held up in quality control. We're really sorry. Not, not with Sobel necessarily. We work with like 30 different auditors at any given point in time with all of our clients. But that's really, really funny. Yeah, you guys are definitely bad cop. One of one of the stigmas that comes with the uh, the position, and some of it is absolutely warranted. We call it stigma, call it stereotype, whatever the proper word is to use, is that we're the unbending people and we don't understand business. You know, we're like the building departments in ta- in the town. You know, and you know, we just you know stamp it and say no, go away, come back later on. And there are people that are like that. I've dealt with people that are like that. And when actually when I joined Sobel and Company, I was on I left a medium-sized firm, was on my own for a year and a half. And I came back and I said to Alan Sobel, I said, I would like to come in and do QC for a good year and a half, two years. And he looked at me like, who wants to do that? I mean, what are you, crazy? And I said, you don't understand. I said, first, I want to immerse myself in A&A and really learn and make sure I know everything. And I said, but my goal in, in QC 
is to find a way to get the financial statements to look the way the clients want it within the guidelines of accounting. And that's what I think more QC people should think. We're there to protect the firm. Absolutely. That's our responsibility. But there, there has to be the understanding that there is a, a common goal everybody's trying to achieve here. And it's not uh, us against them. Well, this leads me to kind of just ask the next question. When I think about our role, Brand K's role as outsourced accountant or controller, CFO, depending on the organization, how can we help ensure a seamless audit? How can we help ensure that clients that we effectively share, that we can like fly through the quality control process to have a clean audit? I hate to answer a question with a question, but I'm going to. What can we do for you? And I don't mean consulting and stuff like that, but what can we do for you? And the reason why I say that is what I really think we need to do, I keep saying this in our office, it's I really think we need to establish milestones and deadlines throughout the audit. I agree. And I'm sure that you feel this is part of your process too. If we just sat down with a client, everybody's running around like chickens without a head on a regular basis. But if we just sat down with a client before the job started early on, we have year-end audits coming up. We should be planning them now and say to Amy, okay, you want to have your audit done by February 28th. That means we have to have a draft done by February 15th so that we can give it to QC. You can review the draft. QC can start looking at it. That means before that, we have to have the final pieces of information by February 10th. That means that we have to be in the field by January 15th. And you back it up and nobody is establishing those milestones, let alone abiding by them. I think planning and milestones would be huge. And honestly, I don't think I see that really at all. We will, so just on our side, we will close the books for our clients. It'll go through quality control. We'll ask for a list from the auditor. What do you need from us? It's typically the same. And then we'll ask for the sample list. We can get all of that information together. And if we have a specific date that all of that is needed by, that's even more helpful. So just having that we kind of set it all up. And then honestly, we've usually done the majority kind of of the work that's going to be required on our side. I think where we would feel very frustrated is then when the questions start coming in piecemeal. And so it just feels like the audit is going on forever. So we will get the auditor everything kind of in one foul swoop, like all organized in one bucket in our online portal. And then it's like every day, like a different email about something different that's being uncovered. So I think that the way information is then sent back to us is disorganized. It's coming frequently from multiple members of the team. It's just very overwhelming. And I think if there were processes and procedures in place to keep things organized, like, hey, Brand K, we need this information from you by this date. Then we are going to get you in one list all of our questions by this date. We will then need responses to that by this date. And yeah, and planning ahead, I mean, that would be golden for us. And and nobody does that. So I I think that would be amazing. And then the second area where I think that we could all partner better, and I think we do this a bit, and I do think we do this with you guys quite well, the the one big area that's confusing and that's subject to interpretation occasionally, particularly for nonprofits, is revenue recognition. And this is like where clients are so confused because the rules are a little counterintuitive, particularly for people coming from the private sector. And so... I think something that should always happen is is that if a grant letter comes in and it's a little unclear how the revenue should be booked, I think having conversations with the auditor throughout the year as these grants come up 
it's really helpful because the last thing any of us want, and I'm sure this is maybe where you were spending your time a bit, would be, hey, we're interpreting it this way. The auditor's interpreting a different way. And now we have to reverse out revenue that we thought we could book in the current year. And it has to go into another year. And this looks really bad. And we just, you know, and now and now we're going to miss budget by X number of dollars and nobody looks good. And then we're all fighting. So those are kind of the two areas that I think we could all do better. So first, I want to say, you know, you asked me information so that you can find out different things. You told me something that I probably knew, but really synthesized it. And trust me, the comment that you just made a a few minutes ago, I will be bringing back to our department and mentioning to them. Because you you just don't think about it. You you say to the staff person, oh, yeah, ask them this, ask them this. You don't realize that you said it to three different people on the team. I sent you an email. They went back and they sent you an email. And then two days later, somebody else said, oh, I forgot to send the email. And they send the email too. That creates inefficiencies rather than us saying, well, for starters, as part of these milestones, we're going to have discussion sessions on these dates. Okay, so stop with the emails. Can can everybody, I'm going to yell out the door. Can everybody stop with the email? Right. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but isn't this like to your point about where it was almost easier when we were doing things on site, it almost to a certain extent was easier when we would just say, listen, the auditors are going to come on site for five days. For five days, you're just going to be irritated because they're going to bother you all, you know, kind of on and off throughout the day. But after that five, whatever it is, two day, three day, whatever whatever that period of time is, then it's over. What feels like is happening now is these emails are going on and on and on for weeks. And so it just feels like the audit is never, it feels like audits never end. How does this all relate to quality? I want to tell you one thing though. How does this all relate to quality? Because very often, if you don't have the milestones and deadlines in place, in the end, it becomes a rush. Exactly. For everybody. For everybody. And the one thing we in quality control hate are rush jobs. You know that there's rush jobs out there. That's life. But the one thing we hate is our rushes because you sit there going, A, what did they miss? Because they just didn't ask all the questions and there could be something they didn't ask. But I don't even know how to push back on that. And B, you're trying to rush it through me. And what am I going to miss in my review? And we're going to have them, but they, they have to be the exception, not the norm. A couple other questions that just come to mind as we're talking. What happens if you, serving in the role of quality control and the audit partner, disagree? What if you think revenue, you read a grant letter and you think revenue should be booked one way and the audit partner thinks the, it should be booked another way? How fun is that? Me? Argue with people? Never. <laughs> my, our QC person, we're the same age, and I am a little brother by a little brother all the way. And one day I decided to bug her on a particular topic for eight hours. And just That's keep awesome. Arguing argue with her about it. And at one point she just said, Brad, can you please just stop? So, But that's the banter that we have going back and forth. And you know, you made a comment earlier that could help avoid some of this too. I tell my clients all the time, if you have an issue, if you have something that you have a question on, stop thinking that, okay, I'm going to start the clock, you know, like a taxi cab as soon as you call. Most accountants don't do that because I'd rather understand the situation now than when the audit is going on. Because often this is the type of stuff that comes up at the very end too, and it's the most significant. So let's understand it beforehand. 
Because the last thing that you want to do, especially your organization, you're being held accountable to what financial information you provide. Now, all of a sudden, we have something different. Let's talk about it during the year, okay? Also, let's talk about it during the year because if it is a significant issue, it allows the partner and the QC person to get on the same page. And I've had that a lot where I've said to people, let's talk about it during the year. And then we, they talk about it. It's like, okay, write this down because I guarantee I will forget it. And I don't want to be in the middle of the audit and you saying, Brad, you said that this is it. And I'm like, I don't remember. I don't agree with that now. And now we're in a disagreement because that goes to your question. What happens if there's a disagreement? So all firms should have a process of dispute resolution. We have it in our quality control document. If there's a disagreement in the staff, they would go to QC. If there's a disagreement with QC and the audit partner, then I get involved. And if there's still no resolution, then it would go to the managing partner, and then he would make the ultimate resolution on this. Smaller firms, it's definitely harder because you don't have as many people. Got it. You bring up audit procedures, and actually that makes me think of another question I have. So once again, I, I don't have, I'm actually not a CPA. I don't have an audit background. So from my vantage point, which is my, from my uneducated vantage point, I'm like, hey, we're doing our job. Our clients have clean books. We have our own quality control process. These audits should be a breeze. Like these audits should be simple. This should take an audit firm like a couple of hours. Why is everyone charging these crazy fees? Like, I don't get it. And, and I say that, and I, I know that that's a wildly naive question, but I don't think I'm the only one to have that question. And I know when I've asked this question before, auditors look at me and they, you know, want to kind of slap me. And they're like, you have no idea, like the hundreds and hundreds of pages of documents that we need to fill out. So could you just talk about that a little bit? It's a great question. It really is. The first thing I will say is that the profession has put on so many requirements of documentation and the support, the, the aids that we use, the guides that we use are so voluminous in the checklist and everything. And in particular, Alan, he hates them. He doesn't hate checklists, but he hates this concept of checklist mentality. He's like, where's the substantive testing? Where is the meat of this? And I mean, literally the industry statistics is that the planning time should take almost 20 to 30%, so say 25% of your audit time, and you haven't even touched an invoice to vouch, and you're just doing planning. And it's documenting the control environment, documenting the understanding of the entity, you know, understanding, looking over the SOC report for the payroll company, all this stuff that really doesn't add to it that you don't even see us spending these hours doing it, but we're required to have it documented. I do peer reviews where we go look at other firms' work papers and you see what people aren't doing that they should be doing in accordance with the uh, standards. So that's one of the biggest things that runs up sometime. Then the other aspect is we're supposed to be auditing, and I'm not going to get into deep into auditing aspects here, but we're supposed to be auditing to what's called risk of material misstatement, which means you focus on the significant and unusual areas. And what happens a lot of times is auditors too much focus on things they're comfortable with. I'm going to look over, and we always say prepaid insurance because it's a fun thing to say. I'm going to look over prepaid insurance because you gave me a nice schedule and I can check the math and I can vouch the insurance policy that I asked you for that really adds no value to the audit process. What's the chance that I'm going to find something wrong with prepaid insurance? A lot of orders will focus on stuff that they're comfortable with or what's known as Sally, same as last year. 
You do what you've done in the past. So that's part of the things that runs up. And then there's the areas that we have to do. I mean, we have to look at what's called management override of controls. We have to look at, uh, in private, let's say private companies, forget about nonprofits, we have to look at revenue recognition because that's a presumed fraud risk. Why? Because in public companies, most public companies, if they want to commit fraud, will misstate revenue. My private companies don't care about that. You know, they're, they're playing around with expenses to decrease their taxes. But we're focusing on areas that sometimes are required and sometimes we shouldn't be. Not Sobelin Company, all the other ones. <laughs> got it. No, I got it. I got it. Um, so just in the last couple of minutes, could you maybe just give our listeners two or three tips that you think are relevant to help prepare for a seamless audit? Yeah. So the one thing that I say, especially doing peer reviews, and this is going to come from an audit aspect, but you'll understand how I connect it to yours because it'll help you. Absolutely. Is document, document, document. Okay. And I'm sure you see that in your organization. I'm sure people in industry see that. Too often, you or the other people within the organization explain stuff to us or we understand stuff and we just walk away and go, oh, I get it now. I get it. And we just walk back and then just go start doing something else. And people don't document. And I'm not just saying sit and sit with me and take notes as to what we're doing. But just can you just document this? Because even for next year, I don't want to have the same question asked. If it's in your work papers, at least it's documented for next year. And the person can look at it and go, okay, I know this before I go ask a question. And now I could ask an educated question rather than you know the same thing that's been asked year after year after year. And then giving us as much or all the information timely will be extremely, extremely helpful because the wrap-up job, when it gets back to the office and it goes into that abyss, it runs up time. You get frustrated because you're not getting what you want. Uh, it, gets fr- it gets very frustrating. Um, but those are the two things that we could do, that you could do to help out. Thank and you. we could do too. Brad, thank you so much. This has been great. I really appreciate your time. Great. No, I really appreciate it. And I thank you for everything you do for us and for our clients too. Thank you for listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman, post-production by Alex Brower, and production managed by Gabriella Montekin. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next time.